Hello and welcome to the Profitable Practice Podcast with me, Andrea Maxim, naturopathic doctor turned healthpreneur. And every week I'm bringing you no nonsense, no BS, actionable strategies to create a practice that is not only profitable, but fully sustainable by you. If you're an action taker like me and want to create a practice that is profitable, then you've come to the right place. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast on the Profitable Practice Podcast with your oh-so-inspired host, me, Andrea Maxim. Now, the girl we have on today is a true hustler. I was so pumped about this interview, and I cannot wait to get started and chat with her and have you guys hear about all the wonderful things that she does and really change the conversation around you know, is it possible to be successful in um, naturopathic medicine or any sort of healthcare profession? And what are some of the creative ways that we can start maximizing on our options? So if we are really talking about true entrepreneurial spirit, this lady has got it down pat. So Dr. Megan Walker is a naturopathic doctor, speaker, entrepreneur, and mother. She is the CEO and co-founder of Bright Almond and principal with Summer Hill Wellness Group. In addition, she maintains a private practice in Toronto's downtown core, working to support the health and vibrancy of some of Canada's most successful business leaders. Following graduation, Megan and her business partner, Dr. Aaron Wiley, founded the Integrative Health Institute, a collaborative medical clinic that grew to include over 12 practitioners and allied professionals. As an ND, Megan is immensely passionate about working with people to help them better understand their health and its role in providing an empowered and superior quality of life. As a speaker, Megan provides frequent talks and workshops on local, national, and international scale. She is a regular contributor to the Huffington Post and has appeared as a guest on CTV Global CP24 programming as well as frequent pieces of print media. She lives in Toronto with her super cool husband and amazing little (laughs) girls. And I just can't believe, Megan, what you've accomplished in a short time. I don't know how you did it, how you came up with the strength. Tell us sort of your story from when you like graduated to now. I mean, it's unreal. Yeah, I mean, well, you kind of summed it up. That was a really kind and if anyone's stuck with us this long, then you then you've got the tenacity to uh, to make it. But, um, you know, I've always loved business. And I that was my first and foremost as I, I went, I knew I want to be an entrepreneur. And then I went under what umbrella do I want to do that? And some, health and wellness was something that was always really important to me. And um and so I pursued naturopathic medicine and I always seen a naturopath and no matter where I, I looked, I always, I always came back here. So it was a natural fit for me. Um, and then it has always been, I would say my personality that I, I knew I didn't want to, I didn't want to work for other people. Yeah. And uh, when Aaron and I started IHI, um, we had a really clear vision about what we wanted to create. And I also knew, and I said to her, you've probably got about four, maybe five years out of me and I'm going to want to build something else. I just, I know that about myself. So four and a half years in, I'd had a baby and I knew she was thinking about it. And I said, okay, I think, I think I'm going to need to step away um, and pursue, uh, pursue something new. And uh, I was doing really well at that point. It was a good time to leave. And I kept my patients and I said, I, here's my challenge to myself is I only want to see patients a day and a half a week. Okay. And I want to maintain my current level of income. 
And so I, I had to get really creative around how I was going to set up my business. So I set up my own business um, in terms of my own clinic. And then um, we can talk a little bit about how some of the ways I structured that to, to lower my costs. And then I went, okay, technology is, technology is going to be a way that people are going to get closer to us as practitioners. Yeah. And so the opportunity to start Bright Almond came about. And um, so I still see patients one day a week. Um, but we use Bright Almond as a vehicle to connect consumers to more practitioners. Because I went, you know, I can, only, I can only see so many people in a day and I have such incredible colleagues. How do I get it so that people can see hundreds of these amazing uh, practitioners across the country and across North America on scale? And so that's what we're looking to do with Bright Almond. Now, a lot of people, including myself, I'll be very honest, I've been watching you since naturopathic school. I've watched you go from running IHI to being on the board to now um, starting Bright Almond. And I always, and I talked about this in a previous podcast about um, the appearance of success. And everybody thinks, oh my goodness, you know, she must just be rolling in it. She must just be living the most lavish life ever. And I'm not saying that you don't. But I also know that there has to be some give and take in order to achieve what you've achieved. So with regards to sacrificing maybe family time or any of the goals that you would have potentially otherwise pursued, were there any sacrifices, give and takes that you had to do to become as successful and do, do all these ventures? Yeah, so it's easy, it's easy to assume that the grass is always... Yeah. always greener on the other side right and I think we don't always we don't always know what's behind the scenes um so absolutely I mean I was very very fortunate when we started IHI that I had a really supportive partner um who I ended up marrying and he's a really he's he's a really supportive partner in terms of taking care of my kids and picking up uh, picking up the slack in that respect so it's it's um having a startup and fundraising for a startup and and traveling the way you do that certainly takes a lot of time and energy yeah. Um, and the thing about starting a business and starting IHI, we started IHI from scratch. So we didn't have an income our first year and we had a minimal income our second year starting up a big clinic. And I think sometimes there's this perception that if you've got a big clinic, then you're making lots of money. But when you have a big clinic, you have big overhead. Absolutely. And when you own it, you, you know what, you pay everybody else first. You pay your receptionist first, you pay your car, you pay all your associates and you pay your hydro and your heating and your water and then when you're done you maybe get to take some money home if you're not also covering you know loans and things that you that you took out to build it so i think sometimes we kind of go oh there's something that's really big it must be amazing yeah um but that then it's also really heavy right so um you know there was there was definitely sacrifices when we talk about opportunity cost early on um because we decided we were going to build this clinic and then the same thing with a with a startup i mean startup um you're not rolling in cash when you're starting a when you're starting a startup you're you're slogging it and you're working late hours and you're you're getting up really early so it's definitely been a challenge um to my family it's been a really it's been a strong personal challenge i've had to stay really really focused on what it is that sure. i that i want to do um and i and i've had to learn to say no really really strategically because i knew where i wanted to go and what i wanted to do but there's lots of other really amazing opportunities that have presented themselves along the way that I've, I've, I've said, you know what, now's not the right, now's not the right time for that. Um, and don't get me wrong, there's just been so many really great positive things. But I think if you're, if you're going to go after really big stuff, you have to be really clear on why you're doing it. Um, and the thing I would say for me is 
that what I'm chasing is not a huge paycheck. It's not yeah. any of those things. It's, it's freedom. And so although I'm, I'm, I'm busy, I can still just say to the people I'm working with, you know, I've got to leave at three o'clock today because I promised my daughter I'd pick her up early from school. Yeah. Cool. And those, that, that freedom and that flexibility is ultimately what, uh, what I need to feel happy. So that's what I chase. And isn't that the most important thing that you just said there is, you know, a lot of people could get so caught up in the greed part of it, right? Like, oh, if I do this, I'm going to make so much money. And, and you've done all of these things because you're passionate about it, because it's a love of, of yours. You've done it because it's just in your blood to do it and try to spread the word to as many people as you can, whether it's helping us practitioners get to our patients or what have you. So I think that's a really important mindset is, you know, if you're doing everything because you love it, the bills will typically find a way to pay for themselves. But I think it's also very important that you mentioned, you know, if you think that the only way you can become successful is if you open a huge multidisciplinary clinic and think that you're going to be balling in like a year or two, unfortunately, just isn't that way. And I can say from my experience running just my little one person clinic, you know, it, it hasn't paid for itself all over the place. Like you still have to make sure that the overhead's covered and all of that. But one big question I have with regards to the multidisciplinary clinic is, uh, even from my perception, I always thought, hey, why don't I have associates join me? And I think I, I think I would make so much more income if I had an RMT and a Cairo and osteo and all these people. Tell me your experience about, number one, hiring people to join your practice, because this is your vision, right? Right. And, and does that come with some give and take and headaches? And, you know, is it as profitable as it's made to appear? Yeah, so I think th this is the problem, right? Is we go, I think it's going to be profitable. Yeah. And what you need to do is you need to put it into a spreadsheet and you need to look at a 36-month plan and you need to be very clear and specific on what your overhead is. And then you need to be very clear in terms of understanding the historical rate of success of that practitioner. And so we kind of interview people and we're really feely, right? So we'll go, oh, I really like that person. They felt so nice and our philosophies are congruent and that's amazing. And then you also have to say to them, tell me how many patients you've been seeing, how you've gone about getting them in the past and what level you plan to execute on in the next six months. Right. And those are the kind of questions we ask. But you, we, we have to ask the business questions in addition to feeling it. So if you don't feel it, you obviously don't hire them, right? So the thing, I, the thing about practitioners is like, I get that we all understand and have a, have a high EQ in understanding people, but we also have to be able to ask those people, how are you gonna execute in my practice? Because if you hire someone who's just gonna come in and go, I had the expectation you were gonna feed me patients, right. then your 36 month plan is not gonna have positive numbers sitting at the sitting at the bottom of it. So I think that when you know people go, oh, there's this perception that if you have a big clinic, you're gonna do really well. There can be, but there, there's also some science to it. And I think we have to be brave enough to apply the science to it. And if you start to ask really great questions and you say to the person, when have you done this before and how have you done it? And tell me how quickly it took to build your practice in a different location. Suddenly we can start to fill in those things in a more predictable manner it takes the headache out of it um, and I, t I totally learned that lesson the hard way we went oh they feel so good they're amazing yeah. they're really lovely 
And then those are the people who are scared sometimes to step out and sell themselves or to sell their practice or all the fears that we would have as practitioners, our colleagues have those too. So, you know, you have to take those two things together when you're looking at finding the right candidate if building out a profitable center is what you're looking for. And I think that when you're talking about a business, we can't be scared of talking about it on those terms. And sometimes we're scared of, we're, we're scared of even using that vocabulary. So if you start to talk about it as a business, then you can start to use the language and you can start to ask those questions. And then, and then suddenly having associates um, can prove to be something where you have consistent cash flow in your practice. But also when you throw that into a spreadsheet, you'll see you're going to max out. Like it's not, whenever you have a fee for service business and you hire more people who work at fee for service, you're trying to scale a business that is inherently not scalable. And so when I talk to people about creating passive income in their, in their practices, you want to have other practitioners because that's going to help cover your overhead, but that's not going to, it's not going to drive your business. It's not going to drive your lifestyle in a huge way. So you have to get creative about finding other avenues and other areas within your practice that are really going to help you grow and scale. So that is the perfect segue into talking about other ways that we can drive more income and create passive income, so to speak. And I know Bright Almond for you is your sort of your baby, right? It's, it's fueling your ability to work one and a half days a week. So um, for those that don't know about it, could you explain sort of the birth of Bright Almond and what it's all about? Yeah, so Bright Almond is is a startup founded in Toronto, and it was actually founded before I came on board. So, um, I did I did some consulting with them, um, and then they invited me to come on board as their CEO. And we kind of we did some pivots and we did some changes, and we really I'll say we realigned it. But in essence, what we do is we connect consumers to licensed and regulated complementary health practitioners. So we realized there was a real void in terms of um, a place where consumers could go to find regulated professionals because consumers don't understand that there's a difference between someone who has spent eight years in school and written regulatory exams or someone who's gone and done a weekend course somewhere and says, oh, I can totally heal your IBS or whatever it is that that you do. And so we wanted to create one central location online where you went and you found those most credentialed practitioners. And so that's what we're doing. So what we do for practitioners is we basically build you uh, a mini landing page with all of your SEO built in and all of your booking capabilities built in, you basically have your own mini website for less than $5 a month. And then we enable consumers to find you so that you can, you're not worried about all of the, the overhead and the online positioning of your practice. It's all done for you so that you can hopefully help find uh, patients faster and with greater efficiency. And so you just came on after it was developed, it sounds like. So you didn't have to take part in a lot of the initial computer software and the coding and all of that? I didn't do any of the coding ever. So we, I mean, Bright Almond, it's a big application. We built an application. So we have a whole development team. Um, And I would say they were there as a a concept. Um, And then I came on board and then saw us through a whole new hiring process of a new development team and a whole new vision. So nothing had been launched to the public. Um, when I came on board, we, we refined it, yes. um, but the idea, the idea had been there. And so how, and many, pra- how many active members do you have? We have 3,000 profiles on Bright Almond across Canada. Yeah, and then we're looking at launching in the U.S. probably by the third quarter of 2016. 
Well, congratulations. That's yeah. huge. Yeah, thanks. So it's growing. It's growing really well. And, um, and we're really happy with the value that we can provide practitioners. I got a call from another company last week and they said, oh, we'll provide a profile for you online. And SEO is built in. And I said, great, what's the monthly cost? And they're like, oh, it's not to be a part of it. And we went, this is amazing. Like the value that we're able to provide for people is, um, is really incredible. Good, good. And what is yeah. the monthly cost then? It's, uh, it's $4 and 24 cents a month. <laughs> and then I think it rounds out to a solid five once you add uh, HST. So it's what? less than a latte. Sure. <laughs> now yeah. let's talk about other um, ideas that some of the people that are listening could think of as possible avenues for passive income. Um, and I guess the, the point of this line of questioning is sort of the big one. And this was something that I talked to you about a year ago is how can we change the dialogue around this idea that being a naturopathic doctor or being being in the healthcare practitioner space is just a waste of time and you're never going to be able to make it a full-time career. But we're not saying you just have to be a naturopath seeing patients. We're talking about how you can extend your knowledge to other streams of revenue. And what others have you seen that are successful for people in our sort of health realm? Yeah. And, and just to be clear so that there's no confusion for people bright almond would not be a good example of passive income because i work about 60 hours a week on Fair enough. so there's nothing there's nothing passive there's nothing passive about that um and i think that's important because what i don't want people to do is go from one example of where they're trading their time for money to building up more examples of where they're trading time for money because then then you're just totally bogged down so the idea with passive income, obviously, is that you are earning income while you're, you're not actively trading your time for money. So you have written a book, or you have created digital products, or you have a dispensary. These are all things that fuel your bottom line without you necessarily having to do everything all the time, right? So I think a dispensary is where everyone has sort of started out and where they have, um, it, it, it's not a stretch for any of us to understand how that works. I'm surprised how many practitioners haven't leveraged a technology, for example, like HealthWave, where they have a virtual dispensary that runs concurrently. So you certainly don't have the same margins, but if you, um, if you send every email following their visit, it's amazing how quickly that adds up and the autonomy that patients have to just to be able to go in and, and reorder. So I found for practitioners who are really consistent about leveraging technologies that already exist like that, it actually provides a really lucrative, consistent source of income for them. And then the whole reason I was interested in Bright Almond in the first place is because I went, our, our consumers, our ideal clients are online. So we don't all love technology, but the people who want to buy from us do. And sometimes we have to step outside of our comfort zone, <coughs> excuse me, and not talk about, you know, what do I want as a practitioner, but where's my ideal patient hanging out? And can yep. I create a product for them where they're already hanging out that they're going to want to buy? So when people already trust you and like you, they want to buy more things from you. And they don't necessarily want to always sit in your office. I don't always want to sit in people's office. Sometimes I just want to pay $30 for a program I can do at home. And if I really like it, then I'm going to come book with you. So I think that frontier of being able to create programmings or, or diets or whatever it is that is your, your niche and your area of expertise, to be able to do that in a digital capacity, I think is going to provide a tremendous amount of freedom and leverage 
um, for practitioners down the road. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic answer. And that's actually something that I personally don't have HealthWave, but I have the ability to create like an online store with my own website. And as I've said previously, I record every single presentation I make and put that on my website to purchase for four ninety seven. So you know, you're only doing it once, you're doing it anyway, you might as well find ways for it to generate income right. for the rest of your life, right? Um, so I think that's fantastic. Now the and I don't know if this is something that you can answer, but the other thing that's also really popular, as you said, are more courses that people can download and do at home. And as naturopathic doctors, do we have to worry about some of the regulations that we have in order to allow these things to be feasible. And as I said, I don't know if you can answer this, but you know, that's a big, I feel like there's a lot of money being left on the table if there isn't a way that we can access it and maybe we can't, but do you have any experience or know of anyone who's doing this where it's still within the boundaries of our regulations? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a big difference. You can give a talk, right? You can go to chapters and you can talk about, how to create a healthy fertility diet without treating every individual in the room. Yes. And you can write a book about hormones or IBS without the regulator tasting down and saying, I know you're a New York Times bestseller, but you don't millions of people without their, their knowledge, right? So this is about how do you package information in such a way that it is uh, that it's sufficiently general, that it is unique, but it is not treating millions of people. It's not laundry list of supplements. It's not any of those things. So um, there, there aren't regulations that prohibit our ability to, to teach and share and write. Um, what we can't do is, is treat individuals outside of a therapeutic context. Yes. So I think we, we need to be able to understand that line. And I think the regulator, everyone's scared to talk to them, but you, you can talk to them, right? So if you have an idea about what you want to do, get some clarity around where that line um, is drawn. But there certainly isn't a rule against um, creating intellectual property that you that you can share with people. It's about it's about treating people. And I don't think we're all writing books to treat individuals. And and blogs and technology would be an extension uh, an extension of that. I am not the regulator, so right. that's why I'm saying don't be scared to talk to them to make sure that you're within the boundaries. They want you to work within the boundaries, so they're certainly not going to hang you out to, they're not going to set a trap for you, um, but you're right. There's a lot of money being left on the table because we're like, oh, I'm kind of scared to do that uh, when the health coach down the street is, is taking it on without hesitation. Yes. So, um, you know, talk to people if you're, if you're concerned about it, but you're, you're certainly within your your hope to be able to teach people and talk to people. Now, excuse me, kind of, is there anything else in sort of that realm that you wanted to bring up that I haven't quite probed you about or any other piece of advice for people? You know, I think we're, we're doing what's called a fundraising round for Bright Almond. So we're, we're looking for funds from investors to be able to continue to grow and scale. And when you do that and you have the opportunity to speak to investors and incubators and all these really cool things that exist in the startup world, the one question that people ask you all the time is, what problem are you solving? Right. And I think one of the things we step back and we do as practitioners is where we go, you know, I want to have a juice bar and I want to have a yoga lounge and I want to have this. I'm going to have all these things. But we don't actually stop and go, am I solving a problem for my ideal client? So we create all these initiatives and then we're disappointed when they don't work out. But... But we didn't 
didn't stop to say, you know, am I actually solving a problem that this person might have? So you might want to create a fertility program, but survey your patients first to find out what their specific fertility issue is. Because maybe it's not getting pregnant. Maybe it's they're just scared of what to eat yes. in the six months beforehand. Or they don't know how to come off the birth control pill. Or, or really understand what problem it is that you're trying to solve and know that there's people who need that problem addressed before you, you jump out and you create initiatives. And then the other thing I would say is, you know, Aaron and I got really great when we started to create IHI and we went with every new initiative that we would come up with, we would say to ourselves, are we lowering our costs by creating this initiative or are we increasing our margins? Mm -hmm. And if we were just creating an initiative for the sake of trying something new, but it didn't have something we could monetize on, we scratched it because sure. we weren't running a not-for-profit. And so if we wanted to run, run one feel-good project a year, we could do that, but we couldn't run 10. And so it was a really important triaging that we would do because we get excited sometimes. Problem, am I lowering costs or am I increasing margins with this initiative? And if you come out of that and you're like, well, not really, then it's a, ba it's a bad idea. Yeah. And it might come from the right place, but it's, it's okay to put some of those things on the shelf. It's okay to look at them for a few weeks and kind of go, let me think about it. Let's let's play around with it. Let's see if we can reposition it in such a way that um, this is going to address my bottom line. Because otherwise, you're not you're not building a sustainable business. And I'll often use the analogy of free the children because free the children is one of the most successful um, development uh, NGOs in the world. And the reason they are is because they take a business approach to all the problems that they're solving. So they're able to reach more people on a consistent basis with less overhead because they take that approach to things. Are we creating and are we solving problems and are we doing it in a sustainable way? So it's not, I know we find it icky to talk about some of these things sometimes, but it's the, it's the only way to make what you do sustainable and provide you with the lifestyle that you that you want. Because if we have 50% of the profession leaving because they can't afford to be there, then, um, you know, no one is served. No one's yeah. served by that. And I find people are afraid to ask. Like there's SurveyMonkey and there's all these other free survey tools that you literally could just put it out there to your yeah. followers, to your patients and say, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? And I've done that on several occasions. Right. And mm -hmm. even if I don't jump on it right at the time, it still gives me a feeling for, okay, you know what? These guys really like this or they don't like this. Or if I were to do this, it would offend them. So, you know, it's helped me understand, should I even put my time and energy into offering this new program when half of them don't even want to show up for it and they've already told me that they won't. So if they're saying no to your idea, most likely they're not going to say yes to your final product. Right. So don't waste your time because it's the most valuable, it's the most valuable thing you have. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, now the other thing I wanted to ask you about, and this was in your bio was you are a creative social changer. And I wanted you to elaborate on that a little bit because I haven't seen anybody list that as a descriptive term for themselves. So what does that mean exactly? Well, I mean, I've, I've always had an interest in, in social development and, um, when I was in my fourth year studying naturopathic medicine, Aaron and I went to South Africa and we looked at sustainable development projects related to naturopathic medicine. And I'm interested in how, where that, that line gets crossed between 
how we can facilitate and engage in social development and what we do as NDs. And what that ultimately did for me is it created this philosophy of, you know, when we talk about our whys, why do you get up in the morning? Why do you do what you do? And it's easy to be like, I want to help people. Yes. But for me, it's like, yeah, I want to help people. But the reason I want to help people is because I realized like, and you learn this from your patients, people are doing amazing they're doing amazing things. I mean, I, I, I treat people who are CEOs. I treat people who are incredible moms. I treat people who are, who are running NGOs. And if they don't have their health available to them at a moment's notice, and if their body and their brain isn't reliable, then they are not effective at their role in changing the world. And so in my practice and in Bright Almond, I always say we do what we do because we believe that when people are well, they can change the world. And it's fundamentally why I get up in the morning because I want to be able to give all of these other people their health so that they can go and do what it is that they are supposed to, they're supposed to do. Because we, we can't do it all, right? It's, that's the whole idea yes. with Bridomid is I can't see all the patients in the world and I shouldn't because there's, there's equally and more talented clinicians out there. But it's the same thing with our patients. You know, they've each chosen a vocation and they've each chosen a mission in their life. And I just want to do what I can do to help them do that in a stronger way. That's a wonderful, that is a wonderful way to sum up sort of what we all do. And I don't think I've ever even put into words in such an eloquent way that that's totally sort of how I'm thinking of it, but I just haven't thought of it that way. And as you're saying it, and if you're listening to the podcast, I actually am recording video as well, which you can find on the website, her face just lights up <laughs> like your whole face lights up when you're doing it. And that's right. how you can tell someone's being truly authentic. And this is totally what you were meant to be doing. And I just love that. Now, the one thing that I've been, I've been listening to your verbiage and I've been listening to how you explain things. And I can't believe how, you must have a ton of business knowledge. And I'm just curious what some of the sort of like, what were some of the resources that you used that were really pivotal, pivotal, excuse me, to your success. For instance, I went to a 48-hour nutrition course um, and it literally changed my business. It was a week-long, 11-hour days and after that I was like, this is exactly what I need to implement into my business. And that was just around the clinician side, but what was, what were or what is one of those resources that was just like, yes, this is what I'm going to do, this is how I'm going to roll. Um, so I read business books like they're going out of style. Um, and I actually usually listen to them on something like, like audible. I don't, I don't have one thing. I highly recommend everyone run a startup because it's basically doing a mini MBA in a really short period of time. So you're on top of the, the finance terms and the vernacular and you have to be, cause you get, th you get thrown in. Um, but it's, I, I think it's, it's just a way of thinking. Like I know that there's a, a book called The E-Myth by Michael Gerber and I refer to it all the time because it talks about getting out of your business. So not working in your business for yourself, but how do you start to get your business to leverage um, itself for you? And I, you know, there's a book called Money and Tony Robbins wrote it last year and it's talking about getting your money to work for you. And it's just, it's reiterating a philosophy of, of stepping out of a poverty mentality and, and getting what you are working for and creating to work on your, um, on your behalf. And I'll say, you know, I'm really fortunate. I grew up in a, in a household where, and I've shared this story before, my allowance was tied to my acquisition of business acumen. So I had 
to read a book when I was starting at 12 called The Richest Man in Babylon. And when I could explain it to my dad, he was like, okay, great. Now your allowance increases. Wow. And then I, he had a series of business books. And every time I could explain to him the concepts of what were going on in those books, he's like, okay, your allowance can increase um, according to your, your acquisition of this knowledge. So it was amazing because it was highly sustainable. Um, and, it, and it really stuck with me. And so, you know, I, you, you can't, you don't just have any of this information. It comes through dialogue. It comes through um, having a mastermind group, which has been really influential for me. If I want to learn how to build a website, I know I'm not going to be a developer. I'm not a technologist, right. but I'm going to read three books around user design so that I can speak the language and have an understanding of the concepts that need to be in place. And I don't read them like I'd read a textbook. I read them really quickly. Um, but I want to, I want to have at least a, a cursory understanding and background of the areas that I'm going to uh, going to jump into, and there are so many resources yes, online. Absolutely, and it, because some really have, great ones. Yeah, and because we have online, and I love seeing you know like the old pictures of the library was my Google, and now you just have right. like, information at your fingertips, right? Um, there was something that I thought of. Number one, what is the mastermind that you're associated with, or that you've been to before? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a member of a of a of a mastermind. We've we've dissolved now in Toronto, but it was a number of business women, and we got together for two years, and we each had goals that we wanted to achieve within those two years, business and personal and otherwise. Um, and we got together every month, and we we worked through what those goals were, and we supported each other through that. And for me, it was really just having a, a tribe of accountability of people who you share it, you're, you're accountable for it. So um, they were really influential in terms of, of being able to hold me to some of my goals. And when times were really tough, you know, you, they would open their network and they'd open their experience. Um, and you can find mastermind groups online. You can find them um, in person. There's lots of different ways of doing it, but it's, it's a really great way of being able to dialogue with other people. And that's where you pick up terminology and ideas yeah. and, and new perspectives at looking at, um, at an old problem. But I really am a big believer in collaborative thinking around problem solving. So if I'm going to work by myself in, in running a business, and I don't with Bright Almond, but I do in my practice, I absolutely need other people that I can throw business problems out to mm -hmm. um, so that we're able to share. And that's one of the things we have created with Bright Almond is something called Bright Almond Biz School. So it's an online Facebook group where you can throw out problems that you're having in your practice. We have a whole faculty of, um, of advisors in addition to our colleagues who can throw ideas at us. So it's really nice to have community where you can, you can share some of your challenges because people have come up with some really great solutions and there's no point on reinventing the wheel. For sure. And I loved how you really emphasized how much you learn and read about business. And I, I think this was Sean Croxton. I was listening to a podcast of his right. or something. And he said, a successful practitioner will have a bookshelf that has not only business books but health books and an unsuccessful practitioner will only have health books on their shelf right and you're sort of living proof to that and I think since I've graduated I've spent more time learning about business and language and online this and that and the other thing than I think I've learned health stuff like I go to conferences and I pick up all my things there and I'm like sweet but most of my time is right. spent on the internet learning how to run business and learning how to grow and do things that really inspire me, like podcasting and making videos and things like that. Now, for those people that aren't necessarily in that tech world and don't want to go there, what are some key things that you found that you really started implementing in your practice that made a dramatic difference? 
either with um, making things run a little bit easier, more turnkey, or helped uh, promote even more profits, if you will. Yeah, so I know you said people who don't like technology, and then I'm going to use technology as an example <laughs> because technology lowers your overhead. So, um, <coughs> excuse me, having an online booking system is critical to decreasing your overhead. And I spoke at AAMP this year and people went, oh, you know, like my paperwork, so I've got a receptionist. I said, look, here's the deal. I'm, between my booking system and my, I save about $50,000 a year. And they looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, well, here's the thing is, I figure my time's worth about $200 an hour and our time is worth $200 an hour, people, if you're not, you have to see it that way. And I'm a really slow writer. So by the time I was spending five hours a week sorting out appointments and finishing up my charts, I switched it, I, by switching into an EMR, I saved about five hours a week in terms of my time. And so five hours a week times four weeks times, you know, yeah. 52 weeks in the year, I'm up to, I'm up to 50 grand. I'm up to $48,000 worth of my time that I can then use to start to promote my business. So I saw a huge shift in terms of my revenue in my business when I went from paper records to an EMR and to massive shift. $1,000 deltas over the previous year. And so you might not like technology, but I promise you if they email or tweet to you or they email to tweet to me, I will send you some references for some really great EMRs that are as user-friendly as Facebook. So, you know, the technology piece, I think if you're going to try to find a way of making a sustainable, especially a solo practice, sustainable and scalable for you, you're going to have to find a way to get comfortable with at least some basic technology. Because again, your consumers want you to use it. Yes. And so it's about getting outside of your comfort zone a little bit. Um, and then I would say for me, my, I had a magic number and because I had, I'd spreadsheeted it all out. I knew what my time was worth. And when I hit a critical amount of time, when I was spending more than 10 to 12 hours a week doing administrative work on my own practice, and remember I only see patients a day and a half. So I'm almost up right. to 50% of my time was doing it in. Right. I was like, I need an assistant. Same thing. And I hired an assistant to come into my practice suddenly I saw this massive jump in terms of my, my bookings and my schedule went from being 75% full three weeks out to being 100% full eight weeks out. And so it, it, you know, it suddenly makes, it's, it makes a huge difference if you're leveraging your time and you're doing what you're really good at, which is talking to people about why they should come and see you and someone else is filling in the, the, uh, the details on the back end. And I usually say the first people person you should look at hiring is a really competent bookkeeper because I, I bet people are one leaving money on the table at the end of the year and two you're spending way more time than you should sorting out all your receipts and making sure they're logged into the right place and just because you can do something doesn't mean you should be doing things so really start to understand where you're spending time in your practice and quickly triage whether or not you could be hiring someone else to do it for you awesome awesome is there anything final um, whether it's a a word of advice, whether it's even um, a, a learning lesson that you had, something you want to leave everybody with that just can motivate them to sort of move forward, take action. Yeah, I guess I would just, 
I would leave people with this idea that you're not always going to be, not every initiative you have is going to be successful and not everything you do is going to be successful, but you know, leave it on the, leave it all on the table and ask for help and, and gather the right resources and get fresh eyes on the problem that you are trying to solve. So if you're trying to solve a problem and you're lowering, you're lowering your overhead in your practice or you're increasing your margins with your initiative and it's still not making it go, ask people to put some fresh eyes on it because those are sort of the, the three secret ingredients. If you can consistently do those things, um, you're, going to have, you're going to have a really good basis for a business. And from there, don't be scared to tell people about it. Don't be scared to tell them how you're, you're going to help them live a better life, how you're going to fulfill all the missions that they're supposed to fulfill in their world and in their life. Um, because uh, we've got the tools to really influence people's families and, and their goals. And it just would be such a shame if they miss it on the opportunity of working with you. Cool. That's and, it. Yeah, that's great. Now, how can people get in touch with you? You mentioned that they could. So what are some of the avenues? Yeah, so um, people can always email me. It's Megan at MeganWalker.com, but I'm probably more responsive on Twitter, and my Twitter handle is just at Dr. Megan Walker, and I'm usually pretty quick at getting back to people. Cool, cool. Well, I just want to thank yeah. you so much, number one, for being such an amazing like lady boss hustler and totally inspiring me to keep doing what I'm doing and try to, you know, work my way up to the same level you're at because you'll never want to get better unless you see people you want to emulate. So I think you're just a phenomenal force for us to know that success is definitely attainable. But yeah, you got to work your ass off a little bit to get there, right? That's right. Well, you know, have all the tricks in the bag to keep yourself healthy in the process. So yeah. Uh, yeah, and Andrew, it's such, it's such a pleasure. It's so great to talk to colleagues who are equally passionate about um, elevating everybody to, uh, to a new level, and uh, we're also fortunate to have you. Cool, thanks. Yeah, so, you're welcome. So everyone, again, this is the end of our amazing interview with Dr. Megan Walker on the Profitable Practice Podcast. If you want to get a hold of me um, with either questions, topics, if you want me to interview you, or if you want me to do some consulting with you, please go to www.maximizedbusiness.ca and check out what we've got on our website as well as previous podcasts. Um, other than that, guys, you know, take action, move forward, don't be afraid, talk to your peeps, just let it all out and don't leave money on the table. And with that being said, I'm out. You guys are killer. Thank you as always for listening to the Profitable Practice Podcast. Leave me a comment and if you haven't already, I would love a review in iTunes. Definitely subscribe to this podcast and leave me a quick review. For those ready to maximize your practice, contact me at www.maximizedbusiness.ca.